Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Philippians, the uh, letter to Philippians uh, that Paul wrote. Last week we talked a little bit about God's goodness, and tonight uh, we're not going to. Um, we're going to be walking through uh, Philippians four verses ten through twenty. Uh, but again, we see God's goodness in this passage. Uh, we see, uh, and we'll see that uh, really the big overall idea of God's goodness is can be seen really throughout pretty much all of Scripture. Uh, but again, just a, a reminder that God is good in our lives. You know, Paul experienced God's goodness time and time again in his life. God, in his inspiration of Scripture, has chosen to give us that through Paul's testimony. Uh, we even have uh, Luke has written the book of Acts, uh, and in, in that we see uh, how God worked in Paul's life. You know, God's goodness was a constant motivating and impactful factor in Paul's life. Paul mentions over and over again God's mercy, his grace, and love even amid his struggles with sin and life in general. God's goodness drove Paul to make Christ the focal point of his life, and we see that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And the gospel message was really the mantra of Paul's life that we see in Philippians 1, 27, where it says, Only conduct yourselves in a, way, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So even we see not only Paul's heart here, but we see the beginning of this letter, we see Paul's desire for the church at Philippi, that they are striving for the furtherance of the gospel. And so overall, throughout Philippians chapters 1 through 3 of this letter, we see uh, truths that advance the, of the gospel and, and, and Christ is really the center of the church. And even as pastors have been preaching through Colossians, uh, you can't help but see similarities in what Paul talks about to the church in Philippi. That Christ really is the center. And so he, he finishes chapter 3 up. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, he finishes this up. And he says here, sorry, my... Uh, surface just beeped at me. Um, he says here at the end of chapter 3, he goes through and he says in ch chapter 3, verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of power that he has given, ha he ha that he has even to subject all things to himself. And before this, we see that he has earlier in this passage, actually, I think I preached it a, a few months ago, I can't remember how long ago it was now, but in verses 12 down through 16, we see that Paul had the desire that Christ is the centerpiece. He wasn't going to focus on the past or on the future. He was focused on Christ. And so he comes down to chapter 4, verse 1, and he says, Therefore, because of what I've already told you, what I've already written to you, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so clearly they brought him joy. They brought him because of the way they were living. He says, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He's talking to them about standing firm. He talks to them in verses 2 and 3 of this chapter about living in unity with one another. There was arguments going on in the church, and he talks to them about having unity in the church. And he goes on in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, I mean, here in verses 4 through 7, and really he gives them, uh, stop worrying if I were to summarize the verses that way, stop worrying, trust the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. 
And then he comes down to verse 8 and 9. He talks about how we are to think right. And as we think right, we will act right. And then he comes to verse 10 in our main text for this evening. And we see here, he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And so he starts to write this in this letter. He starts to actually, he begins, we'll see that he commends the Philippian believers for being concerned for him. And as he's writing this letter, how many of you remember writing thank you notes for your high school graduation? I don't see Nate here tonight, but I would hope he would say yes, he remembers writing them. Uh, if not, he needs to get on that. Um, but maybe it's college or maybe in grad school. Now, however, it seems as though, and, and obviously Pastor could attest to this, that the farther along you get in your degree, the less people care. And it seems like the less they send you money and cards and congratulations. And I don't quite get that. It's like, I would think a, a doctorate means a lot more than a high school graduation. I don't know, or even kindergarten. And I say all that in fun, but we remember writing those notes and remember what we're, we're being thankful for people investing their lives in us. Those, those notes that a lot of times are those kind of notes that when we're writing those thank you notes, it's almost like, okay, I just got to get these done. There's not a whole lot of thought, especially as a high school student, there's not a whole lot of thought that go into those thank you notes, like thank you for blah, 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 blah. Yes, my parents are making me do this. Uh, I'm not really that thankful. You know, it, it, it's, it's all those kinds of things. And, and that's not what this kind of letter is. What Paul is writing here to the Philippian believers is not that kind of fly-by-night, last-minute letter. It was not hurried, but rather it wasn't like a copy and paste from last year's Christmas card. It is a letter that is personal and centered on Christ. It's, it's everything that Paul has been sharing earlier in the letter. He really, it's coming to a climax here, this letter, coming to a close. And he discusses, really, you can see connections from the passage we're looking at tonight to things earlier in the text. And so our main point this evening is going to make up the, each main point. So very much a textual type uh, uh, outline this evening but our main point this evening is simply that God, that, uh, hang on, I'll get there, there we go. Every Christian needs to be content with what we have, concerned with investing what we have, and conscientious that God is the source of what we have. Let's look at the text this evening. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me, Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with the humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction." You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. 
But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we see three elements in, in our main point. We see that there's contentment. There's this idea of investment and this idea of conscientiously being aware that everything that we have comes from God. So let's look at the first part of this to begin with. First, every Christian needs to be content with what we have. Paul is commending them, writing them this letter, and he's telling them, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. So there's, there is concern here, and we'll get to the concern here in a moment. But he says, indeed, you were, you were concerned, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. One author wrote this poem and said, it says, It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was not winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age that I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Sometimes I think we're, we live like that as Christians. We always want the next thing. We live in a world, not just here in the States, but in the world, they always want something more. Most of us in here have smartphones. I think it's one of the best illustrations of our discontent in the United States of America and probably around the world. In fact, the phone companies, I think, build these phones to die a year and a half into your thing, so you have to feel discontent to go get another phone. We want the next and the best. I mean, even just the other day, I found myself looking to see how to upgrade my Surface. It's working fine, but I want to upgrade it because I want to upgrade it. I do it with my golf equipment all the time. What's the next and latest, greatest thing that I can go find a deal on to, to change it? One person asked me why, because I want to. <laughs> That's the way all, all too often we find ourselves living. And Paul here is writing to the Philippian believers and he's saying, listen, I rejoice greatly that you're concerned for me. And, and I understand because of opportunity, you didn't have the opportunity to, to provide for me. But don't worry. He doesn't say here, don't worry. But he's saying, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from one. I, I'm okay because I've learned that in whatever circumstances I am, to be content. The dictionary defines contentment as feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possession, status, or situation. A, home, a Bible dictionary defines it this way. The Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary defines it this way as an internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. 
Internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. And Paul in 1 Timothy 6.6 connects godliness with contentment. He says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Paul in Philippians 4.10-13 shares with the Philippian believers a secret that he had uncovered. I, when you discover something new, it always gets exciting. I can just, maybe Paul was getting, got excited when he discovered this. I don't know. Have you ever had that time in your Christian life where God showed you something and you just got like, wow, I never saw that before. And I've heard it 50 times before preached from the pulpit. I just got it. You know, sometimes it takes a different person speaking and they say the same thing. But it's just in different words and, and, it, and it catches in your brain. I can kind of see Paul when he's, he discovers this. He says, I, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. He says, I know how to get along with the humble. And he gives a bunch of things. And look at, it says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance. And here's a verse, it comes to this verse, and here's the secret. This verse gets used way out of context so often. Philippians 4.13, I'm sure most of us in this room could quote this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, there are athletes that use this verse all the time. They use it as a mantra for their, their athletic careers. And, in, and I'm not saying that they're trying to purposely use it in a, in a wrong context. But Philippians 4.13 is not a blanket statement to say, if I trust in God, I'll get what I want. I mean, two famous athletes for this are Tim Tebow and Steph Curry. They, they have it on, they use it as part of their stuff, their clothes, their shoes. Philippians 4.13, look at the context that it's talking about. It's talking about contentment. It's not talking about everything in life. Now we know God has the power to help us in other areas of life, but this verse in this context is not talking about he's going to help me go win a basketball game. He's going to give me the strength to change the tire on my car that just blew. He's going to help me figure out how to drywall for the first time in my life. That's why I asked Andy to come over and help me. But Philippians 4.13 is talking about Paul is saying, I found the secret. The way I learn how to be content is that I trust God and he's the one that gives me the strength to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. If you want to be content, trust God. You know, sometimes it seems like way too simplified oversimplified of the Christ, of answer. I was talking with someone just a, a week ago about some things about life, and, and I just simply said, trust God. I'm like, you mean, like, is it that easy? It is that simple. Trust God. Well, how do you do it? Trust God. No, like, how do you do it? Trust God. You know, we, we so often become discontent because we're trying to live content in our own strength. 
And, and sometimes I think we think of discontentment only when things aren't going well. But Paul here is saying he's found out how to be content no matter the circumstances. Really what Paul is saying here is that Christ is enough. If you look at this in context of all the Philippians, over and over again he's saying what? Christ is enough. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Is Christ enough when your water bill is higher because the hose got left on all night? You know, sometimes when we think of contentment, we think of all the big things, right? Is Christ enough when you're gifted a free place to have a family vacation? Are you just content? Or do you come back saying, I need that? (laughs) Is Christ enough when you're diagnosed with some type of health concern? Is Christ enough when those around you prosper and you stay status quo? Those around you, maybe at work, maybe it's a family member and, and it seems like they're prospering, they're getting rewarded for things. Is Christ enough when your car insurance premiums raise? All of us in here can say we need to work on that one. Is Christ enough when your political prerogatives are not met? Is Christ enough when, you, when the one you love refuses to submit to the God's gift of salvation? There are those of us in this room that have been praying for loved ones to get saved. I still ask the question, are we content that God is still working? Or do we get frustrated and angry and get exasperated? And we could go on and on with these questions. So I'll finish with this one. I'll finish this part with this. Is Christ enough when blank? We need to seek to be content. That doesn't mean that we, are, we become apathetic with where we are spiritually. Because true contentment, there is not apathy. We're content with where God has us and we're seeking to become more and more like Christ. And in the context here, we're talking about resources. We're talking about what God has given us, what God's brought into our lives, providentially allowed in our lives. Are we content? In fact, just a few verses before this, he's telling them, don't worry. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, we're to be content. Do you struggle with contentment? Do you struggle with, to be, put it on the negative, discontentment? See, every Christian needs to be content with what we have. No matter what's going on in our lives, we need to be content in Christ. In Christ. Not only are we to be content with what we have, but we need to see in this text also that the Christian is to be concerned with investing the resources we have. In this next portion of Scripture, he goes from talking about 
contentment. He says, I also know how to live. And he goes, verse 14, nevertheless, he continues on from verse 13, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So he didn't want the Philippians to feel as though he was reprimanding them. He's saying, listen, I, I'm, I know you weren't able to get me what, you didn't have opportunity to, to use your resources to be a blessing to me. And, and I have found the secret of contentment. I, I have found that I, I can do all things, these things, through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, don't, don't, you don't, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. He's like, you have shared, you have been a ministry to me. And then he comes to verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. So first we see that, that the Philippian believers in verse 10 are clearly concerned with Paul's needs. They were concerned with meeting Paul's needs for the purpose. Look at What does Paul say later on? He says down in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He has been given this gift. He, we can see that what? There's no... The, I'm sorry, from the first preaching... Of, I'm sorry, I'm, skip, I need to follow my notes instead of trying to jump ahead and just go through the text. Clearly, it was gospel-oriented in what Paul is saying, what the Philippian church was concerned with. They were concerned with the advancement of the gospel, and they were, they were investing their resources in Paul's life. And what was Paul about? Advancing the gospel. Paul recounts the partnership the Philippian church had with Paul in his ministry. He mentions how they were the sole church to invest in Paul after he had left Macedonia. That verse makes me happy and sad all at the same time. Sad that they were the only church that shared with him, that partnered with him, but also excited that they were the church that partnered with him. How many of you get excited that we have partnered with churches, men and women, couples around the world for the furtherment of the gospel? We should get excited about that. We shouldn't allow how God has used us as a church to invest in the lives and the furtherance of the gospel around the world. We shouldn't, we should have this, because just lost track of my, I apologize. <laughs> but we see throughout here, we see that Paul is, is desiring to see the furtherance of the gospel throughout the, the letter to the Philippians. And he mentions how it was not just once, but multiple times that the, the believers here invested in Paul. The church at Philippi had chosen to partner through giving for the advancement of the gospel. You know, and even just recently, we as a church 
sent 10 of us to help our missionaries. And it's been exciting. I looked, they had about 65 to 70 campers this last week that heard the preaching of the gospel. And by God's grace, we got to be a help and part of putting things together, beginning the process of certain things so that they could have a more successful, more prosperous, and more comfortable for the campers to be ready to hear the preaching of the word. Bathrooms are kind of important. And it's neat to see that that trailer that we helped start is up and running as far, I don't know if the plumbing actually is connected, but it looks up and running from the pictures. That was us helping. Now I'm going to get a little more personal with it. How excited are you about trying to further the gospel here in Sterling Heights? It's easier for us to get excited about around the world. Because it's easy to just give online, send in a check, to pray. But there's not a whole lot of physical work, our own personal physical work that goes into it. We don't knock on their doors. We're not walking up and down the streets of Germany and all the other countries. What are you doing? Are you excited about using your resource, investing your resources to reach Sterling Heights? We've been praying about planting a church. Have you truly been praying and getting excited about how God might use your resources to plant that church? both personally and corporately as a local church. We need to be about investing our resources in the furtherance of the gospel. God has given us so much. And I was even studying this week, God began to challenge me, what more can I give to further the advancement of the gospel? And primarily here in this passage, Paul is talking on a financial level But we see throughout the New Testament, there's more than just a financial element to investing our resources. And what is the how does the how does Paul describe the gifts, the investments, the resources that were invested in his his ministry? What does it say about the gift from Epaphroditus? It was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Folks, there's no better place to invest our resources than in the furtherance of the gospel. And, and if you're here tonight and, and, you can, you can, and you're sitting here and you're like, you know, before the Lord, I know I am, God has been working me. I, I'm doing all I can to use my resources. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This isn't here to, to beat you. You don't need to feel bad if you are doing what God has asked you to do. But I still would ask us, is there more? What more? Because we're going to get to here in a moment. Everything we have comes from God. And what we will see in this text is that as we give, as we give of our resources, Just as here, it would seem as though it's like 
If, Philipp, if the church at Philippi was the only church given to Paul, there's probably a lot of resources there given out. And yet what? God kept giving them resources. It is amazing what happens when we do what God wants us. When we invest in God's mission, when we invest in God's plan, it is amazing. And I truly believe that you, we will invest more of our resources the more content we are in Christ. No matter what circumstances we're in, as we are content with what God, where God has placed us, what God has given to us, what God has allowed in our lives, as we are content, we will have a stronger desire to invest those things that God has given to us to further His goal, His plan. In fact, Paul, you can see his excitement in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself. He, he's like, you've given more than once for my needs. And it's, it's not that I, I'm sitting back, I'm like, oh man, when is that next, when's that next package coming? You know, when is that next, when is my smart doorbell going to tell me that I got a package on my front, de- front desk, front porch? Paul says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. He was excited to see the Philippian believers invest in the gospel because he knew that it would benefit them, that God would bless them for it, that they would receive the blessings of God in their life. Do we get excited as we are praying for God's leading and partnering potentially with churches from the BFA or or an individual or men that would help be able to come alongside that God would bring into our paths when we get, are we getting excited just talking about it? Because that's really the phase it's at, isn't it? We're praying about it. We're talking about it. We're saying, God, give us wisdom on this. But is there excitement boiling up inside that we are going to have a time where we are going to be investing some major resources in a really big way five miles south of us or more? In an area that needs the gospel. God will honor people, honor his people's faithfulness and fruitfulness in this life. Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 19 through 24, that truth, that if we seek first his kingdom, we don't need to worry about what's tomorrow. We don't need to worry about the things. God will provide for us. So we as Christians need to, need to be conscientious that God is the source of all that we have because that's our third point. Not only do we need to be concerned with investing our resources, not only do we need to be content, but we need, every Christian needs to be conscientious that God is the source of what we have. And I think for those here tonight, I would say that this probably is not a struggle on an academic sense. It's probably not a struggle for us academically to admit that yes, everything comes from God. But what about practically? 
Do we practically admit that, yes, this, this comes from God? You know, as, as, as I was picking up the stuff from Inner City uh, Thursday, yeah, Thursday was when I went down and picked it up, all the VBS stuff. I was talking with the different people that were helping me and things, and as I was pulling some, walking some stuff out, I almost felt re- somewhat rebuked by the Lord because I didn't think of it sooner. And as I'm walking out, I was like, Lord, thanks. <laughs> I didn't expect this. I didn't know how we were going to decorate completely. I was trusting him that all of you are, have creative minds and we'd come up with something. But then Michael texted me saying he and Pastor saw that Inner City was doing this and I gave him a call. And I, I mean, talk about the, this passage there's a lady, I, I, I think it may have been one of the professor's wives, Mrs. Aloisi, I, I'm not sure who it was, that she looked somewhat familiar. But I remember as I'm picking, they're putting all the stuff outside the classrooms, and I'm taking it out of the car, she said multiple times, with this huge smile and grin on her face, I'm so excited that this stuff is going somewhere, it's not just getting thrown away, and we get to be a help to another ministry. That's the Philippian believers to Paul. No, it wasn't cash money or anything, but it, it was money because <laughs> stuff's not cheap. Now we have enough posters to put all over the building. We have stuff to put up everywhere. And they've even offered their actual set. I just have to go back down and get it. But that's, that's, that's another church investing in the furtherance of the gospel. But they were receiving blessings from God in that moment. The blessing of giving. Philippians 4, 18 through 20 says this. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice while pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We have just looked at the importance of investing what we have for gospel advancement. Paul then writes here, and he's writing from, it, from prison. Which, when you go back to earlier, he says, in whatever circumstances I am in, I'm, I've learned to be content. He's in prison when he's saying this. And he says, but my God and my God will supply all your needs. Saying, as you continue to give, don't worry, God's going to supply it. It's not you or it's not man that supplies these things. It's God supplies. Now, this is another verse that sometimes, like for verse 13, can kind of be given a blanket application. And like, well, God will supply my needs. Yeah, but what's the rest of the verse say? According to his riches and glory, according to God, according to who he is, according to his riches, not according to what we want. And look at the verse, it says not what we want, it's according to what we need. Now 
It's not a blank check in the sense that we would want it to be a blank check to just get what I want. This is not the prosperity gospel. God supplies our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ. One commentator put it this way, the definition of needs here in this context as the, as the material needs of Paul caused by the troubles of his persecution and imprisonment implies that Paul's reference to the needs of the Philippians also focuses primarily on material needs here. And, and in the context we see that. But we see here that my God will be with you. My God will take care of your needs. You know, I can find it, I can find that it can be all too easy to forget that what we have been given comes from God. It's all too easy just to forget it. Look at the building we're in right now. Most of you, if not, I guess probably all of you were here when this building was dedicated. And if, other than maybe some of the teenagers. <laughs> but what has it been, 25 now? 26? Ironically enough, I was here too. <laughs> I came down with my dad. But look at the facility. God supplied this. God supplied the needs to burden the mortgage for this facility. And God's going to continue to supply our needs according to his riches in glory. Because it is all to his glory. Because what does Paul say in verse 20? Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, there's the parable of the talents of investing God's given us things. God has given us things to invest. We need to remember and live remembering that what we have comes from God. It's not ours. We aren't even our own, Paul states in 1 Corinthians 6. We've been bought with a price. So we don't have to worry. If, if all good things, if all these things, and he, James says in James 1.17 that Things come from God. All good things come from God. So if, if we believe these things, then we don't need to worry about how, if a furnace goes out, how we're going to pay for it. If the AC unit goes out, how we're going to pay for it. Oh, that's already happened. <laughs> or, or different things that may happen. How are we going to take care of it? How are we going to... God will supply So in conclusion this evening, every Christian needs to be content with what we have, concerned with investing what we have, and conscientious that God is the source of what we have. Some of you know that the music pastor over at First Baptist Church of Troy, Steve Allen, has just re recently retired. After being there in ministry for 40 years, I think he's been the past music pastor there since 79. Some of you may know that I'm very close with them. He's, he's like an uncle to me. He's known me since I was coming out of the womb. 
And you know, as I, I wasn't planning on using that this afternoon's service as an illustration today, but as I was sitting there listening to testimonies this afternoon, it hit me. What an example of investing their resources for the furtherance of the gospel. Way back in 1985 or something like that, there was a couple that moved in next to them. And through their testimony, through their witness, through their constant talking with them, the entire family ended up getting saved. Their daughter is a a pastor's wife down in the Atlanta area. She actually sang a solo today in church. They taught, I heard testimony of many that they they invested in and encouraged them to use their gifts and abilities for the furtherance of the gospel, for the ministry of the local church. Another lady gave testimony of how Jackie Allen came alongside her and she joined, she first started attending the church trying to prove her brother and sister-in-law that it truly was a cult. (laughs) And she's like, well, I'm still here, I got saved. (laughs) Many years ago. Are we investing our resources, our lives, for the furtherance of the gospel? He's given them to us. God's given them to us. They've, they come from God. And we need to be content with where God has placed us in our own spiritual lives. We need to be a Christian who is content with what we have, concerned with investing what we have, and conscientious that God is the source of all that we have. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for who you are. Lord, I pray that tonight this text has been a blessing to each of us, challenge to us. Lord, as we go home this evening, that we would be challenged and, and that we would change. We'd let you change us. That the areas where we need to change, we would change. And areas where we can just continue to add on and grow, that we would do that. That we wouldn't allow apathy and things to creep in, but that we would truly be, as the Philippian believers, investing in the furtherance of the gospel. We thank you and we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.